I need you to meet me in Romans chapter 6 tonight. The series is Jesus Owns Me, where we're unpacking together what that life looks like. And I believe that God has a, can I say, challenging word for us tonight pertaining to that life. That being said, a challenge that comes from God isn't something we should try to escape. A challenge that comes from God is something that we should rather learn to embrace. Because it's those instances that can plunge us into a depth of faith and dependence that we've never gotten to before. So let's step up to it tonight. Turn to somebody beside you and tell them to step up. Step up. You've got to step up. It's time to step up to the challenge that God wants to bring into your life tonight. Romans chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 15 as Paul speaks to the Roman citizens. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Last week we talked about as we launched into this new series, if Jesus owns me, then he gets to establish my identity. But it doesn't stop right there. If Jesus owns me, he also gets to decide my usefulness. In other words, he determines and he decides the course of my life. So within the context of the passage we just read, I want to speak for the next few moments about being slaves of the Savior. Now, Give me a moment let me set something up for you because I think this is monumentally important. I understand that it is impossible for me to use the term slave without it having a negative connotation in our modern day, and rightfully so, because for us, that term is synonymous with the gross dehumanizing and exploitation of a people who were created in the image and likeness of God. The, the Bible never condones or supports slavery in such a manner in any way. As a matter of fact, it condemns it. It's never okay. And to be honest with you guys, I'm thankful that throughout the years God has raised up people like Martin Luther King Jr., who we just commemorated Monday of this week, to speak out and fight back against oppression and injustice. And how even today in our modern day, God continues to raise up people to speak out and push back against the oppression and injustice that's still evident in our society today. But this is why it's so important to understand Scripture in its context. As Paul writes this letter, a third of Roman citizens were slaves. 
in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, the Greeks used the term doulos. Everybody say doulos. Hey, you just learned Greek. Doulos. Doulos means slave, but it also means bondservant. And a bondservant was paid to work. A bondservant could own possessions. They could even own some of their own land. They could advance socially. And if they were able to, at some point in time, save up enough to buy their own freedom, they could do that. And so the word slave, as it's used here, is used to show absolute ownership. So what I need you to see is that these people were only slaves in the sense that they were under the absolute ownership of the master that they served. Now let's take this and apply it to our relationship with Jesus. And as we do so, we begin to see that this is not an oppressive relationship. This is not an imprisoning kind of relationship. This is not a relationship between us and God that is full of injustice as the way that he treats us as his servants. It's actually transformative when we understand it in its full truth. Once again, that's the importance of context. It's understanding that when we see this word slave in the text tonight, it does not relate to what we synonymously put it with together in our modern day. So, what I want to help you see tonight is how transformative it is when we begin to understand and soak in the truth that we are slaves of the king. And being a slave of the Savior means a couple of things. It means, first off, that as a savior slave, I fully surrender to whatever the master wants with my life. Go back to the text with me real quick, and let's look back in verse 16. Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Before you came to faith in Jesus, Paul informs us that sin was your master. It held authority over your life. And you were, even though you didn't know it, obedience, obedient to its demands. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So whether you realize it or not, prior to you coming to faith in Jesus, you walked as an obedient slave to your master, which was sin. But once we receive Jesus as our Lord, there's a turnover in authority in our lives. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read the rest of the passage out. Paul goes on to say there in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So once Jesus steps into the picture... And we, by faith, accept him as our Lord and Savior. Sin's mastery over our lives has ceased, and Jesus's has begun. In verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, a little bit earlier in the passage than where we started, Paul even tells them that once you enter into Christ, sin will have no more dominion over you. But I think this is a cool thing. 
sometimes in the course of my study, God begins to bring things out that I wasn't even necessarily looking for. And I think this is one of those things. Watch this. Remember I told you that bond servants could buy their freedom. Well, as bond servants or as slaves to sin, we were never going to be able to save enough. In other words, there was no amount of good deeds. There was no amount of moral acts. There is no specific number of prayers that you could have prayed. There's no specific amount of scriptures that you could memorize. There's no total number of worship services that you could attend that would have got you to a place where you could buy yourself out of the bondage that sin brought us in. But then Jesus steps in. And he says, I've got sufficient funds. And by his blood, buys our freedom out of the slavery that we were in to sin. And then Paul writes a very, very interesting thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 as it pertains to the passage we're looking at in Romans 6 tonight. Listen to what he writes to the Corinthians. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. So because Jesus became sin, we become righteousness. Look at verse 13. Go back into chapter 6 in Romans. I mean, look, look up a little bit from where we started in verse 13. He says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The only reason we can present ourselves as righteous is because Jesus bought us by his blood and placed us in it. So now the proper response from us is to surrender ourselves to whatever he wants or desires with our lives. I find that a lot of people, like we talked about last week, how many people really enjoyed last week's message and got something out of it and found some real encouragement about your true identity in Christ and how he's the one that establishes that? I find that a lot of people are all about accepting who Jesus says they are. But they don't want to accept what Jesus says do. Let me ask you to soul, soul search something for me. And I want you to do this tonight, but maybe throughout the rest of the week as well. Are you being an instrument of righteousness or resistance? Too many people are resisting or fighting Jesus' lordship over their lives. Whether that be because of fear, whether that be because of doubt or uncertainty, maybe inadequacy or feelings of insufficiency, whatever the reason may be, instead of allowing God to pick you up as an instrument of righteousness in his hand, when he bends down to pick you up, he finds resistance instead. Being a slave of the Savior means I fully surrender to whatever he wants of my life. I put my yes out in front of me. I don't reserve it back behind me just to pull it out in occasions where God finally lines up with something that fits my will. Even if I don't know what that is or where it might take me, my yes is out in front. So if the master says, I want you to teach, then I go and teach for his glory. 
If the master says, I want you to practice medicine, then I go and do that for his glory. If the master says, I want you to be a coach, then I do that for his glory. If the master says, I want you to bag groceries, then I go and bag groceries at the end of the grocery line for his glory. If the master says, I want you to stay where you're at, I stay where I'm at for his glory. If the master says, I want you to leave everything behind to pursue this, I leave it all behind for his glory. Slaves of the Savior fully surrender to whatever the master wants with their life. But as a slave of the Savior, it means that I'm also called to holiness. I'm called to pursue holiness. Let's go back and look at verse 20, picking back up in Romans 6. Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end Eternal life. So Paul references back once again to when we were slaves of sin, how we thought we had freedom. I want to show you something on the screens real quick. Throw the picture up for me, Noah, sir. It's somewhat embarrassing. Obviously, I've gone through some change. This was in 2015. Now, some of you know who these people are and some of you don't. This girl in the front, her name is Amanda Price, and at this time she was living in Memphis working at the hospital there. The other two people, Ashley's to my right in the picture, and then the other two people are Jordan and Hannah Rowe, who are members of our church and actually serving as missionaries in Alaska right now. So Amanda was one of our good friends, and she was working in Memphis, so we decided to go pay her a visit. And while we did so, we thought, well, let's go to the Memphis Zoo and check that out. How many of you love the zoo? I love the zoo. So we went to the zoo, and walked around and just enjoyed the day. And they had this amazing lion habitat. Roar lions, right? Nothing like what Leo lived in. This thing was like 100 times better than what he lives in. But they had this amazing lion habitat. And I've always been fascinated by lions. Even as a kid, it was like one of my favorite animals. And so I'm standing there checking out this lion habitat and watching these four massive lions that they had inside and as I look at it you know it was super nice like it was this huge massive space for them to live in it had a river going through it it had a waterfall it had these big rocks that they could climb up on and play around it had trees and bushes I mean everything about it looked like just the atmosphere that they would have been living in if they were on the plains of Africa it was super impressive they had this information booth set up beside there talking about those lions that they had in captivity. As I'm standing there and I'm reading that, I read about how these particular lions that they had in there currently were raised in captivity. And after I get done reading that, and I'm standing there and I'm propped up on the rail and I'm just kind of taking in the sights. And then one of those Holy Spirit moments kind of just set in. And God began to speak a realization into my life that that's exactly what we look like when we're in bondage to sin. When we're enslaved to sin, we have a counterfeit picture of freedom. Everything around us looks good. It looks fun. It looks just like the real thing. 
It might even be enjoyable at times. It might seem as if that's the best thing we could possibly experience. But it only stretches out to a certain area. You know how you keep people happy and oblivious in bondage? You do it by creating an atmosphere that makes them feel free. Let me say it again. Because I think there's a good possibility that God might use this in somebody's life tonight to to really make them realize for the first time what kind of bondage you have been in. Do you know how you make someone happy? I said happy. And oblivious in bondage. You do it by creating an atmosphere around them that makes them feel free. And that's what Satan does so well. He tries to make you feel free. He tries to tell you to go and live your life and live it the way that you want to. Make the choices that you want to make. Do the things that you want to do. Have the fun that you want to have. Experience the things that you want to experience. But listen to me, men and women. He is lying to you. God's Word says that when He opens His mouth and speaks lies, He speaks His native language. He is a liar to you, and I love you too much. I love your souls too much. Jesus Christ loves your souls too much for me to sit here and allow you to continue pacing back and forth in this habitat that Satan has created for you to live in, thinking that that's freedom, when Jesus has so much more for you to experience. When Jesus brings us out of sin, we realize what actual freedom looks like. And then he sets us on a path called sanctification. To sanctify is to set apart for holiness. That's what it means to be sanctified. Jesus has set us apart from sin and given us abundant life in him. 1 Peter 1.16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You know why life is so miserable for a believer who's dabbling in sin? It's because we've seen and experienced true freedom apart from it. And in this room tonight, I promise you there are some believers in here that you've been dabbling back in sin. And you're just like that line. Imagine if we took those lines out of that habitat, put them on the plains of a free Saharan desert, and said, go for it. They would be amazed at the freedom that they had, something that they never realized before. Now imagine, let's recapture them and shove them back into that habitat. How miserable they would be from that point on. It's the same way with us as believers. Jesus sets us free from sin. We experience true freedom. We experience true life abundant in Him. And then when we go and dabble in sin, we put ourselves right back into the bondage that He took us out of. It's no wonder you're miserable. But for those of you in here tonight who may not have ever realized the deep state of your bondage and the trap that Satan has kept you in, listen, Satan don't care for your soul. He wants you to think you can go out and enjoy all these different things of life and that God's going to keep you from enjoying life. He wants you to think that Jesus is going to put all these parameters around your life that suffocates you, that really does oppress you, that really does imprison you. But He is a liar. Satan does not care for your soul. Trust me, He wasn't the one that hung on the cross for it. If he really wanted you to experience life abundant, if he really wanted you to experience the fullness of freedom, then why didn't he step up and volunteer to allow himself to be hung on the cross? Why didn't he take flesh like Jesus is and come and live and walk on this earth and make relationships with the people around him? Because he don't care about your soul. But Jesus does. He wants you to be set free from all those things. 
Listen, I know it doesn't make sense, but there's nothing more full of freedom than living as a slave of the Savior. So as such, pursue holiness. Pursue living in a holy way. If Jesus owns me, then I am to live to the standard he sets for my life. But then as a slave of the Savior, I'm also entrusted with a job. We've got to swap passages for a second. Matthew chapter 25. And it's going to be on the screens if you don't want to flip over there. Matthew 25 verse 14 says this. Jesus is speaking and he's telling a parable. And he says, For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. The same word that's used in Romans 6. For slaves and entrusted to them his property. Jesus as our master has entrusted us as his servants with a job. And that job is to go out into the fields of lost souls around us and help gather the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's our job. To go out and help reap a harvest of lost souls that we encounter on a daily basis, whether that be within our homes, whether that be within our schools, whether that be within our jobs. Our job is to go out and help reap the harvest, help Jesus as the master bring the harvest in and expand his kingdom. Is it an easy job? No, it's not. Can it be messy? Absolutely. Will we get tired at times? Without a doubt. But listen to me, Jesus has promised to go with us in this task, what kind of a master goes out into the field with his bond servants? That's how wonderful Jesus is, though. He doesn't just entrust us with a job. He helps us execute that job. Anybody here either currently or in the past worked as a waiter or waitress? Any former waiter or waitresses? We got a couple. Y'all might have heard a different term. Server. Your manager, when they hired you, what they do? They entrusted you with a job to take care of the customers, right? To go over there and take their order, to fill their glass, to bring them sauce, if that's what it Which, by the way, God bless y'all that work in the food industry. Because me personally, I, I know as... As followers of Jesus, we're called to be patient and long-suffering and merciful and compassionate with the people around us. But I've seen the way people will get treated within the food business, and I couldn't handle it. So God bless those of you in this room that have served in that capacity and held your stuff together and kept your witness intact in the process. But your manager hired you and entrusted you with the task of taking care of your customers, essentially meeting whatever need they might have arise while they're there to enjoy that meal. As slaves of the Savior, He's entrusted us to go out and help people in their needs, whatever they may be. To make relationships with them. To get to know them, to share the gospel, to help them see the freedom that they think they're experiencing isn't really freedom at all. We've got a job to be doing. And along those lines is why I want to finish with this. As a slave of the, of the Savior who's been entrusted with a job, then it should be my desire to make him proud. Matthew 
Matthew 25, verse 15. I'm going to read out the rest of this story that Jesus is telling. He called his servants together, and he entrusted them his property. And it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, the one who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Remember something I mentioned earlier about refusing to accept what Jesus says do and how some of you are refusing and fighting against that maybe because of fear? I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you guys, but when my time on this earth is finished and I stand before my God and I give an account of what I did with my life and what I did with Jesus while I was here on this earth, I want his response to be as he looks over my life, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you this and you took that and turned it into this. It should be our desire as slaves of the Savior to make him proud of the lives that we live here on this earth. To earn that response from him one day. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. If Jesus owns me, then my life is to be lived underneath his absolute ownership. In that sense, let me tell you guys, it is my joy to live as a slave of the Savior. It's not my burden. It's not my trial. It's not my hardship. It's not my regret. It's my joy for him to be known as master over my life. And I can say unashamedly to that end, Jesus owns me. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. 
If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.